0: So I'm not really showing up as my authentic self. So who are they really dating? They don't know me and I don't even know me. And that really came to a crash with one of my relationships. When she realized this, she's like, I don't know you. Do you even know you? Who am I dating? We've been dating for a year. I like to look at his attention as the flashlight, but intention as the hand guiding it. How are you sending that beam over when you look at yourself? What is the
1: quality of your attention? Welcome to another episode of the Sola Sosa podcast, and today's guest is Dante Alive. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sosa. Glad to be here. For those who don't know what you do and who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: I am a mindful, self-compassion student and teacher, and what I do, um, starting with myself and with other people as I help uh, others build a relationship with the difficult parts of themselves, and I do this because, for many of us, we don't know how to have a relationship with ourselves, and when difficult emotions arise, um, it's 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 for for me it's been. Uh, transformative to pause and ask myself, first, what's here? What's alive in my heart? And then to allow it to be there. And just that right there is huge because my relationship before with the difficult parts of myself, and notice that I'm saying difficult. I'm not saying bad, and I'm not saying wrong. Difficult. And my relationship with these parts of myself was avoidance, escape, resistance. And how I discovered that is my life wasn't unfolding into the vision that I had for it. I was drinking a lot, partying a lot, smoking a lot, eating a lot, and in, that, in those processes, there was criticisms and judgment and condemnation on myself. Um, and it got to a point where my body couldn't sustain that anymore. And so what these difficult parts of you do is they send signals. I mean, that's what it is. They're, they're signals. So when I couldn't, ha- my body couldn't handle the way that I was treating it anymore, it woke me up and I was okay, what's here? And <clears throat> the alcohol and the, and the cannabis and the ways that I escape, we all have our clever ways of escaping from ourselves. These weren't really the problem. These were symptoms of something deeper that has been trying to get my attention since their formation. And I didn't have the ears to listen, to, to hear it. Uh, and so it was through my body and through these difficult parts that informed me of how to take better care of myself. And what I realized, and I still am, is that these difficult parts of myself are my allies. They're not again, wrong, bad. They're not demons, right? Actually. Scratch that. They are demons. And I say that because when you look up the um, origin of the word demon, it's Greek. And it's the word is daemon, which translates into spiritual guide. And so these difficult parts of myself um, have been just that, spiritual guides. I had been treating them, though, like they were demons. And so I was fighting them. And as I, as my perspective shifted, instead of fighting my demons, I learned how to feed my demons. What did I feed them? A Part of me that hadn't been woken up yet. A part of me that I hadn't extended to myself yet. And what that was, was my kindness, my mercy. And so when I began to address these difficult parts with care, interest, and curiosity, they taught me how to love myself better. And that has been transformative.
1: Wow. There's so much that we could dive into from that. And it's a powerful story, honestly. And I commend you for doing the work.
0: It's almost as if I didn't have a choice, right? I mean, what's the old...
1: That's the question I want to ask you is, what happened to your body? What were the signals? What was the crisis? How did you wake up? Sure. So
0: it's it's quite paradoxical, um, I think, because the way that I was living my life, I had built that, and it was a way for me to get out of what my life used to be. So what I'm saying here is my life used to be one way that was very difficult and I found inner resources than myself and in my, in my community that helped and I built a life out of that. Now what was occurring was the things that I helped me get to here. Now were are becoming the, um, the, the, the obstacles and the challenges in my, in my new life. So, um, Drinking food smoking right these were these were these were processes that helped me survive from um the 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 occurrences of my life that i didn't know how to deal with so and and those were just those are just some of them right um people pleasing another process that helped me survive right i'm sure there's i'm sure there's more uh,
1: on there that's a uh, people pleasing is an interesting one because my wife she's much better now but she's a major people pleaser where she feels like she has to go to these events she has to go to this person that she doesn't even likes birthday party or with different customers and clients and for me in conversation or in public settings I will either choose not to go because I It's not authentic to me or it's something I don't want to be at. So I won't go simply and not have any FOMO at all. And then number two, even in a conversation, if it's not really a good reciprocated conversation, I will just choose to stay quiet. And I won't feel the need that I have to, you know, clear the awkward silence or anything or I won't feel the need to... And this happens a lot at work. A lot of people in the corporate world... Well, politic, kiss ass, or just socialize strategically to gain favor and position at work. And everybody knows, and I'm famous for it, I will just be in my own bubble, in my own world, and I will have a a good conversation with you. Because sometimes people will sit at your desk and get into your space. Mm. And it's funny too, it's like being in a dealership, so many different neurotic path uh neurotic behaviors just are around you and you just observe people and some people just like your presence and but they'll just be on their phone but they mm-hmm. just want to be around you or some kind of just do the same things over and over but the secure alpha males are very focused on their work and are not seeking your approval and people know that I don't seek their approval as well so my interactions with my managers are far and few in between, but they're very quality and they go right to home. They go right to who they are and what they're about. And it builds this kind of strong respect that we just don't waste each other's time. But I guess I see it a lot where I've even seen where people who are less qualified because they people pleased because they kissed ass got promoted. But that's just, not something I'm willing to do to be fake with, and I think uh it's shocking that you know to hear that you were people pleaser because you're a person that doesn't come across that way to me
0: mm, well I've done a lot of work on it, and um so you didn't really get to see that that side of me so much um you know, I worked in hospitality I still do um for fifteen years now, and part of hospitality uh, I'm sure you know and your audience knows is that's famous saying, "The customer is always right." This enabled my people pleasing. Mm-hmm. It actually made me very effective at my job, working in restaurants. Um, I was did managing and event coordinating. Right, my job is to make people happy, and um, so getting a disappointment from people meant I failed, and so I didn't. I didn't allow that. I did whatever I needed to do to make people pleased with their experience, including my staff. And I was praised for this. Um, given a lot of responsibility and a lot of high-end restaurants in San Francisco. And I loved it. And I felt safe and powerful in it because I was a person in a position of power and people needed me. And I got to feel safe in that, right? And as long as people needed me, then they don't have to really see me. So that was a safety net for me. But this also bled into my personal life, into my relationships, where I didn't even want to disappoint any of my partners. And the thing with that is just like in the restaurants, I'm not really speaking my truth then. I'm, I'm putting my truth behind in order to make them happy. And they don't know that's happening. So I'm not really showing up as my authentic self. So who are they really dating? Man. They don't know me. And I don't even know me. And that really came to a crash with one of my relationships when she realized this. She's like, I don't know you. Do you even know you? Who am I dating? We've been dating for a year. And she said to me, I, will n- I no longer consent to your lies and I never looked at it as a lie. I' not I don't like to lie, but I wasn't showing up truthfully. My nose were yeses. Mm. So that was like a punch in the stomach wow. there, and it scared the hell out of me because I was like, yeah, I don't know who I am. I haven't been honest. And she, she how could she know who I was? So there's there's responsibility on both ends though. That was a mirror for her to look at, like, oh, I choose men like this, you know. And um, and and for me, it's it was just a my world was crashing, like shattering.
1: But I think in great ways. There's so many layers to individuating, becoming your true authentic self. So many layers of conditioning. From religious to your family, how many siblings you had, economic class. There's so many genetic conditionings. Genetic, yeah, the genetic lottery. Hmm. Uh, you know, hmm. there's definitely a difference of timelines if you're but ugly. Just kidding, everybody's beautiful. At least everyone it. deserves to be beautiful. Yeah, it versus good looks. You know, you do. I for women is pretty girl privilege and all these different things that. Ever heard of that? Yeah, apparently. And well, it's, it's definitely true. People who people will do business with you if you look like them or act like them or sound like them. And, um, you know, that, that actually makes me think of, too, of how, you know, my wife took a few class studies. I read books like Malcolm X, and I became a bit more conscious of how in the West, and this is a totally different subject. We don't to have to dive through this one, but to finish that thought. Even in Mexico, lighter-skinned people are usually in positions of power, usually taking care of each other and um, and helping people that just look like them. And people who are much darker-skinned usually get passed up on opportunities, especially if you look native. And there's a difference between how um, European genetically descended Mexicans look at more native mm-hmm. interior Mexican. Uh, indigenous people. And uh, I think that's a huge part of my awakening is realizing who the heck am I Mm -hmm. in in an ancestral level as well. Mm. And so there's so many layers we can go through and talk about the conscious person, the awakening man. Um, I think that this is essential for someone to truly live that authentic life because We do have clues of who we are. It's a lot of times from our childhood. And then we get imprinted by our parents. We take on their neurotic behaviors. And that voice in that head is essentially, we learn how to live this life without the manual. And I believe we're in a stage of time right now in the West that's just really waking up, really paving a way towards better mental health and uh, better society. Mm. What would you say to someone who's completely brand new to this. In fact, the people who are listening are already in that truth seeking path which you were on. What were we were and we've had conversations about this too. What are those fundamental building blocks like you said, mindful self compassion just turning that negative voice into something that's going to be more curious mm-hmm. and more loving. But you know, you can take it any direction you want. Like what's another avenue for Discovering who the real person is. Yeah.
0: Thank you for your question. Um, well, what, the first thing I'll say here, um, speaking to the audience, is good job. If you're already questioning yourself, questioning your own opinions about yourself, whether they're good or bad, well done. That is, in my Uh, estimation, the definition of open-mindedness and open-heartedness. And the fact that you're looking inward is a big deal. I can't tell you how many people don't do that. They are looking out, right? Blame, Mm -hmm. criticism, condemnation, judgment, right? And I understand that people do that towards themselves, but at least to get someone to even look at themselves is a big deal. They're already looking in the right direction. So I say that to you and all of you out there, well done on that. That's a big deal. The second part um, to this question, uh, especially if you're getting started here, and this is really the first step I find in almost anything that we do, and that is really looking to your intention. What's your intention? What's your intention with yourself? Here, All right? Are you Are you looking to? And and this is really important. With these difficult parts of yourself, are you looking to whether it's anxiety, depression, grief, uh, rage, anger? I mean, you name it. Uh, sadness. Are you looking to overcome these difficult parts? Are you looking to conquer? Are you looking to control? Are you looking to get rid of? These are intentions that I'm speaking of. And if you're looking to control, conquer, get rid of, overcome, this is an act of aggression towards yourself. You cannot shift or change something you do not understand. It's not going to happen. You are going to find ways instead to, if if you go towards in that direction of, of, of of controlling, of trying to get rid of, um, overcoming, conquer, then what's going to happen is that you're going to look to control, dominate, master yourself. Now, that may sound good, but this is not how, let me ask you this. Do you want to be controlled, dominated, mastered? Not at all. Nope. Neither do these difficult parts of you. And when we look to control, dominate, and master, this is what I've learned is the shadow side of the masculine here. This is how violence occurs. And this is such a big deal. For, for instance, if I didn't really know you, right, and we're going to do something together, whatever, and I, my mindset and heart sets very much like, okay, we need to get this job done. Right. You're the you're the man to help me do this, right? But you know, I don't know too much about you and whatnot. So I need you to do this, I need you to do this, I need you to do this. Now let's say something happened to you, some tragedy happened, and stuff, and you can't complete the thing, right? Depending on who I am, and, and this I think this is most people, you know, I'll be I'm gonna be disappointed. And I may say, Okay, well, thank you for letting me know, and good luck, and you know, I need to go find someone else. Right. That's just one version, right? Maybe I'd be a little more compassionate. My 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 point here is I can easily dismiss you. Why? It's because I haven't included you in my heart. I don't feel what you're feeling. And when I don't feel what you're feeling, I don't I don't hurt then if you hurt. That means I can I can I can hurt you. And there's a there's, an, there's a wall here, a ar- piece of armoring, right? This is the same way people relate to the difficult parts of themselves. They look to control, dominate, and master. And when they do that, that's how they violate and act violent against themselves, whether that's through criticism, judgment, condemnation, or physical violence against themselves. But if I know you, and I care about you, then pain that happens to you is going to hurt me as well. So what am I going to do then? I'm going to look to support, nurture, protect you because I've included you in my heart. So the message here is, can you include yourself in your own heart? Because when you do that. Your whole operation of how you relate to yourself transforms. And this, that is huge. Just that point of view. Just with the intention of care, curiosity, and interest towards these. That's what they want. That's what your anxiety wants. It's not your enemy. It's saying, hey, over here. Hello, please pay attention to me. No, you won't? Okay. Okay. I'm going to get stronger then. Right? What happens to us? Ah! Until we finally like okay, what I need to do something about this. And I know that's a point I think that a lot of people get to. And I get people all the time like how do I get rid of this? How do I overcome this? How do how do I control this? I'm like no, 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 no. Again, that's 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 you haven't included yourself yet. This isn't something to be, to be, to be treated like that. So you really got to just pause for a moment before you do like you dive into work. Cause I can't tell you, you'll spend years in therapy. Oh, you'll spend a lot of money, a lot of resources with a coach and you can make some progress, but until you, you send your attention Towards these difficult parts of you, with the intention of care, interest, and curiosity, not much is going to happen. You're going to be in therapy and, and coaching and whatever forms uh, that you're that you're doing to help yourself for 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 years. The way, the reason why this is so difficult is because it's so close to us. Our, our intentions and attention is so close to us that we don't see it. We don't realize how powerful our attention is. There's this wonderful saying, intention energizes attention. So I like to look at his attention as the flashlight, but intention as the hand guiding it. Right. How are you sending that beam over? When you look at yourself, what is the quality
1: of your attention? That's brilliant. Absolutely love what you're saying. Reprogramming the mind and being nice to yourself. But the way you framed it is exactly it. But what I found, particularly from my story, is I didn't get to the real self-work until I burnt out in the corporate ladder in network marketing. I believe a lot of young men who are in their early 20s and teens have that chip on their shoulder. I got to make something of myself and I got to make money so that I can X, Y, and Z, whatever your dreams are. Right, I I grew up on MTV for our generation, and I grew up with Hollywood, and I grew up with MTV Cribs and all these different things that I thought success was, so that's what I was chasing. So none of my needs were met, whether it be financial, relationships, myself, mental. So I really didn't get out of that base hierarchy of needs. I didn't get to secure any of them until, honestly, I made quantum leaps with what we just talked about with psychedelics and plant medicines really allowed me to just break from my survival way of thinking because most people are distracted with their hustle and bustle of the daily life and providing and if we think about how much of our day gets spent with survival needs it's it's only that rare few that get to just peek over and say you know what is the quality of my life what is the quality of my my heart what's the quality of my relationships the things that really bring true richness versus, you know, Jedi Azuma. And for the people who don't know, we're part of a men's team that we're proudly on, part of the Rising Man movement. And the person leading it, Jetty Azuma, had an incredible post about maybe not having the financial riches. Having what most people are waking up to is the true riches of the heart, of yourself, of the quality of your relationships, the quality of your presence is truly the present that we're all starting to to give ourselves. Mm. And I would say you're such a rich man for developing these skills and these principles and, and that relationship with yourself because it shows when I hear you speak, when we're about to, you know, do some process called a team interview. I have a question that I want to ask, but I choose to be the student and just hear what you're going to ask because it's different than what I was thinking and what you ask, you know, because the quality of your life a lot of times is determined by the quality of your questions Hmm. and the questions you ask. I have to say this, that Einstein said, you can't solve the problem with the same thinking it took to create it. <laughs> the thinking that you have is is definitely out of the box. And it's definitely a perspective that, that is just a wealth of wisdom that helps people for anybody listening to Dante. What other gems and wisdoms do you have for us? Yeah. So uh, I, I love
0: just looking at what we already have w- with us, like what we're all used to, like, for instance, attention. We We've been talking about that. Let's talk a little bit more about attention. Right? Uh, this blew my mind when I when I learned this and, and really um, dived into this. Think about the things in your life that you love to do, right? You have a, uh, your wife, you've got your hobbies and you got this, this podcast right and, you know, ask your audience to think about the things that you love. Think about how much time no, actually, Think about how much attention you've given these things, right? You've probably put a good amount of attention into the things that you love. So what I see here is that attention and love are synonymous. That attention is the most basic and profound expression of love. And I really sat with that. I realized that, wow, love has depth, obviously. And so does attention that the more I pay attention to, let's say my girlfriend, the more, I see her, the more I fall in love with her. What happens though, when your attention is everywhere, what happens when your attention is, f- and I don't have to go further than just looking at our social media platforms, right? We have conditioned our attention to be quick, fast, short. What does that say about the quality of our loves, our ability? love deeply what does it say that all of these corporations our society the number one thing that they are competing for is your attention how long they can capture it it's not just attention they're capturing it's your ability it's your depth of love
1: that shook me that's power yeah wow Never saw it that way. Attention is something that uh, is affected by so many different things. Other Social media being the number one killer of attention, the TikTokification of everything. Good and bad because essentially for things to go viral, for things to be really interesting has to be very high value actually packed like it just essentially releases a lot of dopamine like wow captures my attention but th- the downside to such a short fix is the sustained dopamine release of something worthwhile like a meaningful conversation or a podcast which is where the world is shifting towards as you gather that thought yep. one of my favorite youtubers that i connected with was let's get deep i'm like yes i want to get deep I love the details. I love the stories. I love the, the nuances. Mm. Let's get deep, Dan.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm going as deep as I, deep as deep as, as, as I can. can. I like to regularly say, uh, "Let's go deep sea diving." So these signals that we get, right? Pain, whether it's emotional or physical, what are they signaling for? Do you know?
1: Your life is in danger at a basic root level?
0: That's more of the story, right? That's more of the circumstances. But they're sexually signaling for something else. Something a lot more simpler. Your attention. Mm. And what did I previously say attention is attached to?
1: Your love. Yeah.
0: So what are these difficult parts really asking for? They're asking for love. That's right. Mm. This is what I mean that these difficult parts are asking for your kindness, your mercy, your attention. It's, it's, and how do we, and how do we regard these difficult parts? I mean, we all, most of us, again, it's through criticism, escapism, denial, blame. If you had a wound on you, a cut, what is it asking for? What's the first thing that's going to happen?
1: Turn attention, Mita.
0: It's going to signal with pain. Pain's going to draw your attention. What are you going to do?
1: Put a band-aid.
0: Care. First, you'd show some interest. Oh, my God, look, I have a cut here. It's bad, right? You're interested, right? And you're going to bring care to it. Are you going to look at the cut, the wound, and say, Oh, my God, I'm so stupid. I'm such an idiot. I I can't believe I, I I did that. I don't I don't deserve I don't deserve this or that. I'm bad. I'm evil and leave the wound open
1: like that? Or worse, your partner saying, "How could you be so dumb to let that happen?" Mhm. Mhm. Or maybe a parent might say that. And then would you just leave the wound
0: open? This is exactly what we do with our difficult parts of ourselves. This is what most people do whereas they wouldn't do it physically. So I say this as actually evidence to present to you all, because I know most of you, when you have a physical ailment, you take care of it. So you already know that there's value in this. And what I'm inviting for everyone is to give the difficult parts of themselves the same regard, the same love. It's actually really simple. So wanted to, um, yeah, share that. And for your other question in this phase of my life, so I'm getting signals. It's asking for my attention and my care, my love. So everything, all, all these difficult parts, even fears of the future, what they're really doing is they're giving you, they're, they're trying to teach you how to take better care of yourself, how to love yourself. What else in life gives you the opportunity to practice love? And do you think love doesn't need to be practiced? It has depths. You can't just go to those depths. You need to grow your ability to do that. And what gives you that? Struggle. Suffering. In fact, suffering is a prerequisite for self-compassion or compassion in general. And here's one other thing I'll say, because I know many people with the difficult parts of themselves, they turn away, right? And they may say, well, I don't know how to go. I don't know how to be kind to myself. I don't know what self-care is. I don't know what self-love is. And what I, what I, what I like to guide them towards is how they're already doing this, that they do already know, and the evidence is already there. If you had a friend or a loved one who was dealing with the same troubles, the same problems that you have, so you know what they're thinking, you know what they're feeling. What would you say to them, Sosa? Without giving them advice, what message would you deliver to their heart?
1: To love themselves, to be curious.
0: Mm-hmm. So let, let's just say it was me. Let's say I'm struggling, and you see me struggling, right? What what would you what would you say? And I'm talking about words, body gesture, like how would if your body... You have... Yeah. Hold space. Yeah. Ask you what you need. Yeah. You would extend yourself to me. Right? Hey, you got this. You would encourage me. Hey, what do you need? It's okay to not be okay. So here's the evidence that you already turn towards difficult things in your life and extend care to them. You do it with other people. So the invitation is to to include yourself in your own heart and extend that same care and kindness to yourself. And it's going to feel mechanical at first. It's going to feel alien at first because we've been conditioned not to do that. Not because there's some evil person in the in the, in the sky controlling everything. Because a lot of the ways that we treat ourselves we learn from our caretakers. And what did we learn from them? We learned how they regard themselves. We were raised by adults who didn't examine their own lives and because they had a different world they were living in. So of course that's, that's, it gets passed on, but some of us get that opportunity and the privilege to pause and examine our lives. And again, it starts with care, curiosity, and interest towards the difficult parts of you, which allows you to practice love and move deeper into it. And you already do it towards other people. And that's where sometimes we have to begin. Because some people, again, just don't know how to do it to themselves. So I show them, well, look where you do do it. There. Look how you instinctually do it. You never even questioned why you do that. But you do it. Because it's part of your genetic conditioning. It's part of your mammalian care system. So we just have to recondition ourselves to include ourselves in our hearts and it's transformative you become an inner ally versus an inner enemy
1: what about the balance between is there such a thing feeling too much and where I came from and where maybe most men can relate to Is numbing the pain. Maybe feeling too much or too little. And maybe some practices to gain your sensitivity back. So,
0: what I hear when I hear feeling too much, I just hear overwhelmness. And that's an indication that we need to come back into a Challenged zone or a safe zone. So I, I work with these circles called the zones of tolerance. Safety, challenged, overwhelmed, and we oscillate between them. Safety is in your home. You know, you're in bed, you're chill, you're, you're in you're control of the environment. You're, you're not activated or triggered, right? Challenged is, oh, this is hard, but I, I can do this. I can, I can be in this, but oh my God, Oof, right? There's a little question there and that's where growth happens. That's where learning happens. Overwhelmed, you're shutting down. Right and there's things there's there's symptoms to this too. Like like crying could be a symptom of sh- overwhelmness. Crying can also be a symptom of opening up, like a release, right? But sleeping, numbing out, those are symptoms of overwhelmedness. And so we go into the numbing, we go into the substances to get ourselves back into a, a degree of safety. Yeah. And so I like to ask myself throughout my day, what zone of tolerance am I in right now? And it helps me gauge So if I'm in the overwhelmed, okay, I need to move into my challenged or I need to go back into my safety. And I can take steps to do that, whether it's going for a walk, reading a book, you know, I I have my ways.
1: What about though, like, entertainment and pleasure? Where does that come into, you know, a long day's work, fully challenged zone, and we're starting to maybe feel overwhelmed or just tired, and then we maybe introduce a little bit of vices there. If if you're in control of it or if it's imbalanced maybe a glass of wine, maybe a little joint, maybe a little bit of video games. But what I tend to fluctuate with is maybe I'm doing it too much. Now I need to dial it down. So where does that play into the factor of taking care of yourself? Where does enjoyment and pleasure and dopamine? come Great question.
0: So, and, and this is something that is common. I get asked a lot in the sense of, People have made their vices their enemy because they are c- causing complications. Now, I know your question was more nuanced in the sense of like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. In a balanced way, because we all know the unhealthy, obsessive way. Sure. So, I mean, if you're, if you're balanced and you're okay with doing that, I'm no one to tell you how to live. Like, if that works for you, great. Your way's the way here. And then that's one thing I also want to be clear on is question, question everything. Right? Don't just take my word for it. Look for the evidence of it in your own experience, what I'm talking about here. Because that's what's going to move you. That's what's going to shift you. Not my words. You're going to see the truth of it in yourself. You'll feel that yes inside your body. Oh yeah, I see myself in that. Right? The words that I'm saying, right? It's it's not the I didn't make this stuff up. These are things that I learned from my teachers. And I look at my own experiences. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Right. And I mold the two, my experiences and, and what I'm learning here. But your, your, your vices are not the enemy here. These are systems that have protected you. You see, resistance, which is, a, uh, I think, a pretty common word in the work that I do. Resistance is you believing that your present moment experience should be something other than what it is. So that's why we, I don't like this experience. <sighs> right? I don't like this experience. Ah. <sighs> So what these coping mechanisms or vices do is they create an inner sense of temporary peace inside of you. The problem with that is that you become dependent on these things outside of you to create temporary peace inside of you. That's how you start addictions, right? You don't want to go that route. I have been that route. Many of us are in that route. We want to learn how to resource from inside. Because and because this is sustainable, whereas their vices are not sustainable because they're taxing your body. They're what my teacher call calls a false refuge. Like they provide some some level of ah, peace, but they create long-term struggle and suffering. so it's not a real refuge, not a real place to rest. But it's not your enemy either.
1: To add you said peace to quote Gabor mate. On addictions, those substances will also feel like Uh love, but it's not right. But it feels like
0: it because here's the thing. When you're doing your coping mechanisms and you all know what they are, right? You don't resist it. This is what grace is. It's non-resistance. When you have that drink, once you have it or you, you smoke or whatever ways that you escape, you want to be present for it. In fact, you're probably very present for it. You're probably not present to your whole life, but you're very present to the state that you're in. There's no fight there, right? And and so there's peace. That's that's the state of peace. Peace is non-resistance. And I can give you an easy example of this outside of coping mechanisms. Leaves falling off a tree. What do you think about that? First beautiful image. Do you question it? Have you ever said to yourself, like, leaves shouldn't fall off a tree? Right. Your relationship with leaves falling off a tree is peaceful. There's no fight. If you had a problem with it, leaves shouldn't fall off a tree. Leaves should go up. Right? Why is it going down? Now you got fight.
1: Now you got tension. This makes me think of my five-year-old niece who had this cute little balloon inside this apartment. And we, you know, it's beautiful. I think it was Christmas. We open up the patio doors. We go outside. She still has the balloon. And of course, she's five years old. She lets it go on accident. She's like, no, no, my balloon. And then me and my wife, Violet, are looking at the balloon like, wow, that's a beautiful balloon. It's like, look, look, it's, you set it free. And we're just kind of trying to give her a different paradigm, less resistance with it. Because a balloon's going to fly away just like a leaf will fall grace
0: right there what a great contrast there you know i don't want the balloon balloon going right we fight it's not reality that's causing us pain it's us it's our beliefs here and we do this in such small ways like oh the fork should be on the on, on the left side of the plate what is it doing on the right side right whereas the opportunity to be is well i i i I know that I've been conditioned that le- that forks go on the left, but clearly this forks on the right. It's so I guess it's supposed to be, and you know how I know that's true? Because it's there right in front of me. And I have the opportunity to accept that and allow it to be. There's no fight. So it's it's and this is a really big and this is a compassionate piece, the allowance of what's here. Are you fighting reality? Or are you letting it move through you? Because you'll that fighting reality is an argument you'll never win. Never.
1: Well, I want to ask you about fighting your mind at the gym or the the room of improvement in that challenge zone that can be tested to accomplish greater things or to really test yourself or to push yourself and to be better for it. It seems like it, there's most obvious example is with your body can do much more than our mind tells it it can, but that doesn't really always translate emotionally, mentally, or does it? What about pushing that resistance and going beyond it? Are you talking pushing physical resistance or pushing mental resistance? Well, Stephen Pressfield Mm -hmm. in his War of Art book Mm -hmm. talks about resistance in a beautiful way that... That he prepares you to overcome, to fight through, to push through, so that way you can create art. And that every artist is going to face resistance. Every writer is going to face resistance. And knowing its many faces, knowing its many tricks, is essential to not be consumed by it. So still being in that, getting away from the overwhelm zone, because I like how you put that, but in that challenge zone is where the arena is. Mhm. So maybe some healthy ways to push or maybe it's not the right word but to challenge that resistance to expand into mm. in that in that category.
0: Yeah. Um So when I go to the gym, for me it's um there there's definitely two things going on. When I'm lifting the weight, I get I feel a lot of anger because there's pain right and um that the anger is informing me that hey something's being pushed or violated right a physical boundary Mm. right because i'm literally tearing muscle fibers right and so anger strikes up and i'm sure a lot of angry when i when i not only when i get to like those number of sets where i'm like really feeling that burn Mm. Right. Like at the very end of the set, that's where like the anger surges in my chest. Right. For for me, Um, anger is a great signal that something's being violated, but nothing's really being violated there. So I get to be with that anger for a moment. And I also notice that when I'm at the gym, when I feel that anger, the moment I put the weight down, my mind instantly goes to let's get on your phone. Let's open social media. It wants to feel good. It wants a dopamine hit. It wants to counter the pain. So the gym's actually been a really good uh, arena for me to practice how to take better care of myself. So instead of going on my phone and I feel that urge, I take a breath, ground myself, feel my feet on the floor, or I do what's called pendulating. I bring my focus, my attention to an area of my body that's not hurting. Like if I'm doing biceps, the rest of my body's fine. So I'll, Bring my attention to maybe my foot. All right. And I can bring it back to, to, my, to my arms here. So it becomes a practice of how to be with resistance. I don't need to overcome it. I need to get familiar with it. There's no changing something you don't understand. So you have to sit in it. See all the way. See how your mind shifts when when pain comes in or when an emotion, difficult emotion comes in. Right? When fear comes in. Uh, into your heart. Like one of the most fascinating things I've learned. Is that when fear comes into my heart. Aggression comes into my mind. This is my psychological fight response. So you have your fight, flight, and freeze. Which are physical um, reactions to danger. You also have psychological responses to that. Most people don't understand that. They don't know that. They think that their criticism. Their, the way that they judge and blame. Is who they are when it's actually your fight response. When you get scared in some way, or if someone insults you, right? The fear is there. If you can, if you recognize it, whether you recognize it or not, the fear is there and it transforms into fight. I'm going to attack the concept of who you are. You're an idiot. I'm attacking your concept, your self-concept, right? Because there's fear. I'm protecting myself. No different from if you corner an animal, right? They're going to bare their teeth. They might lunge at you. You see aggression, but what's happening inside of them? Fear. And we are the same thing. We do it differently in different ways. We will sometimes physically fight or we'll use this. And that's just one of the responses. You still have the flight and the freeze, and you have psychological versions of that too. Mm-hmm. Isolation is your flight response. And rumination is your freeze response. And people get caught up. In this is called your threat defense system, your psychological threat defense system. People don't know this about themselves. And so they spiral in, 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 in criticism, either towards others or towards themselves, right? And condemning themselves, which leads to feelings of shame and guilt, which leads a person to isolation, right? And when all that's happening in your mind, you're just replaying the situation or whatever happened over and over and over. You're frozen in it. This is your freeze response. And this is how most people, this is the process most people use to conduct their lives. They try to plan and strategize their way out of their problems through their fight, flight, and freeze. You don't want to do that. It's great for physical, but when it comes to psychological, and we live in a very psychological world now, we're not cavemen anymore, right? Most of the threats that we face are psychological. Fear-based. Yeah, a lot of fear. So what's your relationship with Fear. For most people, it's fight, flight, and freeze, or what's the other one? Um, fawn. Um, um, I believe it's called fawn, right? Not familiar with that. Where, where, like, I just do what you, what you, what you want, what you want me to do. Right? I just please you and stuff, so you won't attack me, right? Um, but there's actually a whole nother system that you already gen- you, that you're genetically conditioned to have already, and it's your mammalian care system. And there's three components of that mammalian care system that counter the three components of your
1: threat defense system. You know, we talked about fear, how it's gripping, you know, truly feeling the fear is, uh, is essential. Um, it's almost like feeling pain in a way, but courage is something that is still feeling the fear, but doing it anyways, Mm. just not, you know, not assuming that you're not going to feel the fear and taking action. It's. Feeling the intense fear, but choosing to do it anyways. And a lot of times, you know, false evidence appearing real. Once you do that, what you're afraid of, it no longer has power over you. What's your take on courage and fear?
0: Sure. I love that question. Um, So let's start with fear. Everyone feels it. It's not going anywhere. There is no conquering or overcoming fear. What we need to do is have a space in our hearts for fear to rest into. And this is where compassion comes in. Here. That fear is not the biggest part of you. It's intense. I agree. And it can feel like the biggest part of you when you're in the suit of fear. But fear is just a current inside of you. And um, there's this term I love called the fearless heart. And a fearless heart is not a heart that's vacant of fear. A fearless heart is a heart that has a space for fear to rest into. So it's not that you overcome fear. It's that you become its ally. You take care of yourself in it. So I don't like planes. Terrified of them. I drove three hours to the airport. I was going to get on a plane. I knew I was going to have fear. And I just, when I walked it into the airport, a wave of fear hit me physically, and I froze, and I struggled just getting in the airport. I had to s- sit with myself, breathe. I called one of my uh, men up for support. I got myself into the airport. Then I had to walk through security. Again, another big wave of fear. Grounded myself, breathed, called my, my friend again, Right. made my way through security Right. While I was going through security, I felt like an alien. I felt so disconnected from everyone. I was I even felt anger. Why isn't anyone helping me? Why doesn't anyone know what's going on? I felt so disconnected. This is what the suit of fear is. Right? Where's the best parts of me, by the way? In this, where's my courage? Where's my joy? Where's my humor? Where's my compassion? Right. I'm. It's gone. But it's not really gone. I'm just disconnected because that's what fear does. So. When that happens, fear becomes a signal for me. Oh, I need to reconnect to the best parts of myself. I need to take this suit off and and put on the other one, the compassionate suit. So it doesn't get rid of fear. And so I got through security. And now I'm on the other side of the airport where all the restaurants and I'm seeing everyone laughing, seeing kids run, people are eating at the restaurant. And I'm like, what the hell's wrong with everyone? They're about to get on a, on a, on a piece of metal and go 30,000 feet in the air. How are they okay with this? And I felt, again, so isolated because that's what fear does. But it's not who you really are. It's a suit. Can you recognize it's a suit? And let it be a signal to call in the best parts of yourself. So fear is knocking on your door. What most of us do is we go hide under our tables and we're like, no one's home. So as I was making my progression into the airport, that was me walking up to the door of my home looking out the window, seeing fear, ah, right? Maybe I take a step back, so I don't know if I can do this. Step forward, open the door, right? And that and that means like at the airport, I'm now right in front of the doorway to go into the plane, right? And again, I'm noticing how I'm, ir- I'm irritable when I'm fear. There's a guy with a candy wrapper and I can hear it. The sound is amplified. Yeah, I'm watching. My mind's aggressive here. I'm like, this is not who I really am. This is the suit of fear. And again, I talk to myself. I breathe. I have my practices. This is not to get rid of fear. I do it because there's fear here. It's no different from a child who's sick. You do what when a child's sick? You put on their favorite movie, you put a towel on their head, you give them blankets. Is any of that going to drive out their illness? No, you don't do it to drive out their illness. You do it because they're struggling. Does it make a difference? Absolutely. This is what we get to do with ourselves. And we get to ask for help with this too. Including yourself in your own heart. And so, we don't need to get rid of fear. You need to create a home for it. And you have one already. You mentioned courage. Courage, and my definition of courage, is to be responsible for one's heart. So, seeing what's here, and taking care of it. Fear's here, take care of it. Grief's here, take care of it. Whatever thing is here is yours, and it belongs here. It's it's not that it's not supposed to be here. It's here already. Even if you make that statement, I don't want this, it's not supposed to be here, this shouldn't be happening. What does truth say? What does reality say? Reality and truth says this is happening. So can you stop fighting reality by saying this shouldn't be happening? I should be further along in my life. They shouldn't have said that. Wrong, 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 wrong. What does truth say? What does reality say? They did say that. You are this far along in your life. This is happening. Can you come into acceptance of that and take care of yourself in it instead of fighting it and ignoring what's here? I didn't get on the plane, by the way. I sat in that airport for two hours and just sat with my fear. And I watched up and down, up and down. And I gathered evidence. Oh, I can be in this. And that was a win for me. When I was going to go into the plane, intense fear. I'm good right now. That's for another time. So, yeah, I didn't get on the plane, lost my money, disappointed people that were waiting for me. That, and it felt like a win. Mm. Because if I get on that plane, I can also traumatize myself. And I've been on planes by myself and it's traumatizing. So you have flown before. Oh yeah. Okay. And it's awful for me. If I knew getting on a plane would get rid of, the, would the fear would be gone, I'd get on the plane. But that's not what happens. Because the way I've been getting on planes hasn't been in support of me. I've been doing it for other people. And I don't want to do that to myself anymore. So now I get to look at, okay, how do I take care of myself? And that also means taking my time, slowing down. I'm deserving of that. My heart needs that. And in fact, I don't want to get on a plane again unless someone's going to go with me and sit with me because that's what kindness feels like for me. That's respecting myself and respecting my boundaries. Fear is teaching me all of that
1: my teacher that's beautiful bring it home Dante where can they find you what are you working mm-hmm. on what can they look forward to in the future
0: yeah um well honestly I've only been on this I call it you well know, I've been on this journey my whole life but I haven't really brought mindful attention into it until the last three or four years it was a big transformation and my life looked very different so um I'm just getting started I am I broadcast on TikTok live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. Central Time. You can find me on there. I'm on there for one, two, three, four, sometimes five hours broadcasting because I love this work. I love it so much. I love being a catalyst for other people's empowerment. I love helping people see that they're not as bad as they think not even close. So I do that uh, daily and I work with people one-on-one. People who want to, who are interested in creating a relationship with the difficult parts of themselves. So I, I offer those services as well. But TikTok, uh, you can find me under Dante
1: underscore alive. Send me a message. Say hello. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see y'all later we did it It was fun man thank you if you stuck to the end you are the rare special kind that has the attention span and i'm guessing you're just resonating with this message to help grow this channel and help others find these gems of wisdom please hit the like button leave a comment helps the algorithm shows youtube that you like this content and you want to see more of it thank you